Congregation, the text for the sermon this morning is from the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 14, the verses 3 to 21. We'll begin reading at verse 1 of that chapter, though. Deuteronomy 14, we begin reading at verse 1. And there we read as follows. You are the children of the Lord your God. You shall not cut yourselves nor shave the front of your head for the dead. For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. And the Lord has chosen you to be a people for himself, a special treasure above all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. You shall not eat, and this, this uh, follows, here follows the text, you shall not eat any detestable thing. These are the animals which you may eat, the ox, the sheep, the goat, the deer, the gazelle, the roe, the roe deer, the wild goat, the mountain goat, the antelope, and the mountain sheep. And you may eat every animal with cloven hoofs, having the hoofs split into two parts, and that chews the cud among the animals. Nevertheless, of those that chew the cud or have cloven hoofs, you shall not eat such as these, the camel, the hare, and the rocks hyrax, for they chew the cud but do not have cloven hoofs. They are unclean for you. Also the swine is unclean for you because it has cloven hooves, yet does not chew the cud. You shall not eat their flesh or touch their dead carcasses. These you may eat of all that are in the waters. You may eat all that have fins and scales. And whatever does not have fins and scales, you shall not eat. It is unclean for you. All clean birds you may eat, but these you may not eat. The eagle, the vulture, the buzzard, the red kite, the falcon, and the kite after their kinds. Every raven after its kind the ostrich, the short-eared owl, the seagull, and the hawk after their kinds, the little owl, the screech owl, the white owl, the jackdaw, the carrion vulture, the fisher owl, the stork, the heron after its kind, and the hoopoe and the bat. Also every creeping things that flies is unclean for you. They shall not be eaten. You may eat of all clean birds, you shall not eat anything that dies of itself. You may give it to the alien who is within your gates that he may eat it, or you may sell it to a foreigner, for you are a holy people to the Lord your God. You shall not boil a young goat in its mother's milk. So far the text of the, for the sermon. Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, I don't know if you've ever heard the saying, happy as, a, happy as a pig in Palestine. Pigs in Palestine are happy because Jews don't eat pork. Jewish people don't eat pigs because God has labeled them uh, unclean. So a pig in Palestine ha doesn't have to worry about being slaughtered for consumption with chops ending up on the grill. Anybody who has no worries is like a pig in Palestine. Well, that, that practice of 
not eating unclean animals goes back to our text in Deuteronomy 14. When it became clear at Mount Horeb that Israel needed more than God's covenant law to remain his people before Christ in the Old Testament, he instituted that whole Old Covenant ceremonial worship centered around the tables of the law and the ark. That's how, the, how he could live with this people, this stiff-necked people. And it was a constant reminder to Israel that they were the Lord's special people, people of promise, people who God had promised glorious salvation through a Messiah. And now you might wonder what that Old Testament ceremonial law about clean and unclean animals has to do with us today. How does this law apply to us today? Jesus Christ came, as we remember, this month, and he fulfilled all those laws, right? So those laws of clean and unclean don't apply to us anymore, right? While we need to eat healthy, healthy food, we don't have to worry about putting a pork chop on the barbecue and eating it when it's nicely grilled. So what are those regulations about clean and unclean animals, what do they have to do with us today? Well, we have an article about Christ as fulfillment of the ceremonial law in our Belgic Confession. Article 25 of the Belgic Confession. And there we confess as follows, and I quote from that article, Article 25, Belgic Confession. We believe that the ceremonies and symbols of the law have ceased with the coming of Christ and that all shadows have been fulfilled so that the use of them ought to be abolished among Christians. Yet their truth and substance remain for us in Jesus Christ, in whom they have been fulfilled. In the meantime, we still use the testimonies taken from the law and the prophets, both to confirm us in the doctrine of the gospel and to order our life in all honor according to God's will and to his glory. So that's the end of the quote from that article. And in the light of what we confess there in, in the Belgic Confession, these regulations about clean and unclean animals, while they have been fulfilled in Christ, they certainly have something to say to us as New Testament people of God today. They confirm us in our faith in Christ and they teach us, they show us how we ought to live as God's people today. They guide us into living as God's people today, his treasure. And with that in mind, I proclaim to you the word of God in the text with this theme, the God of life forbids his people to eat unclean meat. And we see two purposes for that law of God. First of all, to awaken the expectation of Christ's deliverance from death in his Old Testament people. And secondly, to awaken thankfulness, a life of thankfulness for God's deliverance from death in his New Testament people. So first of all, God, how God used that law to awaken the expectation of Christ's deliverance from death in his Old Testament people. Brothers and sisters, boys and girls too, in our text, the Lord God distinguishes then between clean 
and unclean animals. His people are allowed to eat the clean and not the unclean listed there. Why did the Lord designate some animals as unclean and others as clean? What was the criteria? Why was the Israelite allowed to prepare and eat the meat of one creature but not of another? Well, all kinds of commentators have tried to explain this one way or another, and there are those who think that this had something to do with pagan beliefs and that pagans use the unclean animals in their rituals. Others claim that the unclean animals aren't as healthy for people to eat as the clean ones, and that eating the meat of the clean animals listed in the text was better health-wise for the Israelites. I'm not going to weary you this morning with all the suggested explanations, but Moses shows himself shows in this passage that we read why some were clean and others unclean. From the, he shows that from the context of this law, Deuteronomy 14. You remember that the book of Deuteronomy was, we could say, Moses' farewell sermon held at the border of the promised land of Canaan. He wanted to remind the Israelites of God's law one more time before he was going to die and before they were going to take uh, possession of the promised land. So our text is actually a repetition of what the Lord had said before in the Leviticus, I believe, chapter 11. But in Deuteronomy, Moses places the regulations about clean and unclean animals right after the regulations for the mourning of the dead in Israel. And that's why we started with those first two verses of this chapter. The Israelites were not to cut themselves or to cut off the forelocks of their hair for the dead, for grieving for the dead. That's how pagan nations grieved in those days, and God's people can grieve, certainly. They may grieve, express their sorrow at the loss, but not as pagans who have no hope. There is a limit to their grief. They were to remember they were the people of the Almighty God of life and salvation. The Israelites, as God's children, were to remember also in the time of grief that through God's gracious promises, they are heirs to life everlasting. Well, right after that call to believe in life everlasting, even in the face of death at a funeral, you fo there follows that law of clean and unclean animals. The text begins with that command, verse 3, you shall not eat of, you shall not eat any detestable thing. This law of clean and unclean animals has the same basic aim as those laws about mourning of the dead for the dead. Not only were Israelites to be reminded in the days of mourning for those who have passed on that they were the people of the God of life, his treasure, they were to be reminded of that every time they sat down to eat at table. God not only placed limits on their grief, he also places limits on the menu, on their menu, what's on the table when they're going to eat their, their dinner. And the aim is basically the same, so that the Israelites can demonstrate their faith in the God of life every day again. That was the purpose of that law in our text, and that's evident also from verse 21. And there the, 
the Lord God forbids the Israelites from consuming anything that they already found dead in the field. For instance, you know, if an Israelite found a, a sheep in the field killed by a wolf or, or something like that, he wasn't allowed to take that animal home and butcher it and consume it. Death had already been present, and so the children of the God of life were not supposed to eat that meat. They could sell it to an alien, a foreigner, but they were not allowed to eat of it themselves. And it wasn't because the meat was no good, otherwise the Lord would not have given them permission to sell it to a foreigner. It was because that meat had become a symbol of death for the Israelites. And whereas a foreigner saw nothing special in the meat of an animal that had died beforehand, had been killed, for the Israelites it signified death. Everything that was connected with death itself was in fact a detestable thing to God. God detests death. Death is the result of sin. And therefore Israel, God's people, were supposed to detest that too. And congregation, this is why God declared certain animals unclean for Israel. Because if you look carefully at the, at the characteristics of unclean animals, you notice that they all have something to do with death. Animals which do not chew the cud or, or who do not re-chew their food are animals which will also eat the carcasses of other animals. And animals which do not have split hoofs are animals who, which have claws or nails with which to tear apart other animals. And God calls those animals unclean. They're animals which also eat the dead and they symbolize death for the Israelites. Also all water creatures which don't have fins or scales, they're creatures which consume the carcasses of other water creatures, and you can think of eels or, or catfish, scavengers, and all birds like vultures and eagles and owls and ravens which feed on the dead bodies of other creatures. They were to be unclean to the Israelites too. And insects, which are often eaten in mid-eastern mid and African countries, well, insects which swarm Swarming insects are insects which also feed on cadavers. In short, any creature associated with death was declared unclean by the God of the Israelites. And the Lord, the God of life, he doesn't want anything associated with death in itself on the menus of his covenant people. For even at their mealtimes, the Israelites were to recall that they were God's treasure, his own people, whom he had given the promise that he would deliver them from death. They were people who were destined for life, thanks to the grace of the God of life in the coming Messiah. That's what this was to remind them of. They were to look forward to the coming of the Messiah who would deliver them from death. Oh, for God's people, this life looked like it was nothing but a constant death too. 
there were no fewer graves in Israel than in the other nations, in the Gentile nations. Also in Israel, people died and their bodies were given over to corruption to return to dust. Nevertheless, the Israelites were not supposed to forget what the Lord, their covenant God, had brought about for them and had promised them. He bought them free from slavery and death in order to give them life. And not just life here, not just life in a promised land here. No, he had promised everlasting life through a Savior who was to come. The Israelites could look forward in him to a heavenly country, an eternal inheritance. And they were reminded of that deliverance and the promise of eternal life every time they were going to prepare a meal and sit down to eat at table, to eat meat. It had to be kosher, had to be clean, not the meat of any animals associated with death. And with that law then, God wanted to remind his people, pound it into his people, keep alive in his covenant people the expectation of their full deliverance from death through a Messiah he would send. So the Lord, brothers and sisters, boys and girls, used Israel's daily meal, meal times. He used their daily menu to bring them to constantly confess that they have eternal life in him, in his salvation. They mourned differently than other people, the pagans. They also ate differently than other people. And then you can think here of Daniel and his friends in exile in Babylon in the king's court. They refused to eat the food from King Nebuchadnezzar's table. It, there was unclean food there. They wanted only clean foods. And that was a constant confession on their part that they only expected life and deliverance from the God of Israel, from the Messiah he had promised. And that Daniel and his friends lived in that hope. We come to the second point of the sermon. We see now how God uses this law to awaken thankfulness for Christ's deliverance from death in his New Testament people. So, brothers and sisters, boys and girls, we don't keep that Old Testament ceremonial law of clean and unclean meat anymore. We, we love a pork chop. God himself declared that law finished and done with. We read about that in Acts 11, where the Apostle Peter tells about his dream. <clears throat> From now on, God's people may also eat what, is considered, what was considered unclean in the Old Testament. <clears throat> we can eat pork and we can enjoy halibut, the fish and chips, halibut. <clears throat> the animals haven't changed as such, but something else has changed in this world. And that is that the power of death has been definitely broken. God's one and only Son 
He has come, has come into this world as man, as mortal man, and by his death and resurrection, he has defeated him who has the power over death, namely the devil. That dietary law in our text was meant to point ahead to that victory of Jesus Christ. But now that that victory has been obtained, we don't need a pointer like that anymore. God's people may now live in, in hope and in gratitude for that victory achieved in Christ. And the gospel of Christ's victory has to be carried out to the world, Jews and Gentiles and, and everyone. <clears throat> That's another reason that Old Testament law of clean and unclean animals was done away with by God. That law was, as the Apostle Paul writes in some of his letters, like a wall that separated Israel from the Gentile nations in the Old Testament. And that's because the Gentiles were people headed for, for death, whereas Israel, God's nation, was headed for life. And there had to be a wall there. They were a completely different direction. But once that power of death was broken by Christ, that wall of separation between Jew and Gentile was broken down. There's no Jew and Gentile before God anymore. Now God wants the Gentiles brought into his covenant and church too in order to share the promise of life in his son through faith. There is no nation of Jews and no other people who are Gentiles anymore before God who eat differently, separately. No, through faith in Christ, both Jew and Gentile are one and they are heirs of salvation. But brothers and sisters, boys and girls, do the dietary laws of our text basically then mean nothing for us anymore as New Testament believers? Remember, according to Article 25 of the Belgian Confession, we confess that those ceremonial laws not only confirm us in the doctrine of the gospel, they also show us how to order our life to God's glory in thankfulness today. They show us how to order our life to God's glory today. In other words, even though we don't have to keep those dietary laws of clean and unclean animals anymore, they still have something to say to us, something that to guide us. It says something about how we ought to live in gratitude as New Testament people of God who have been brought from death to life through Christ through faith in his coming, his death, and his resurrection. And we read, we read about that in 2 Corinthians 6 and 7. And there the Apostle Paul, using some of that Old Testament terminology of our text, clean and separate, urges the believers in Corinth, both Jew and Gentile, to keep away from what is unclean, and to purify themselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit. In other words, New Testament believers are to avoid what can make them spiritually unclean. They are to avoid whatever drags down to death. Stay away from sin which leads to death. We have been promised eternal life through faith in Christ, Therefore, we can distinguish ourselves from the world which is on the way to death by living a new life. 
we can apply this directive of our text as New Testament children of God very specifically, for instance, in how we eat our meals today. How we eat our meals, for instance. The lesson of our text for us as New Testament covenant people is then this. Our covenant God wants us to show, even in our eating and drinking, that we are people of life through Jesus Christ on the way to eternal life. We've been given life in Christ, eternal life even. And that means we are not going to eat like the unbelieving world. But we're going to show in how we eat our meals that we are people of the God of life in Christ. And how would we distinguish ourselves at our mealtimes then? We eat and drink the same things, right? There's no longer that distinction between clean and unclean or kosher food for us. So how do we, how do we confess the God of life at our mealtimes? Well, brothers and sisters, boys and girls, we do that by acknowledging in thankfulness that every bite we eat and every drink we take has been bought for us by the blood of Jesus Christ. And he's the one that gives us life. We've received everything out of his grace. We can eat and drink with enjoyment because Christ has come in our mortal flesh and he has died and he has risen for us again. And we have life that goes beyond this life. It's through him that God gives us life, hope, and joy, and peace here. And that thankful attitude is what God seeks from us in our whole lives. But let me apply it here to our mealtimes. Every mealtime congregation. We should distinguish ourselves from the world in that in particular. The unbelieving world has the attitude, let's eat, drink, and be married because tomorrow we die. We should live with a different attitude altogether, the attitude of let's eat and drink and be merry for we're going to live forever because of God of grace, the God of grace. And that attitude should be seen at our mealtimes. How? Just simple. Never begin a single meal without prayer. Prayer. Even when you're at work or at school or on holidays or wherever, unbelievers are on the way to death and they just set their teeth in their food without a thought for God. They don't think at all about gratitude toward the God of life. They just eat, dig in. What about us? Do we distinguish ourselves from the unbelieving world in this? Do we show ourselves people who are God's treasure, who have been promised life? Do we show ourselves as people who have life from God and have it abundantly at our meal times too? Or do we forget that too? Or are we too much in a rush? Or are we ashamed to show that we've been bought, brought from death to life in Christ? Congregation, we distinguish ourselves from the world at our meal times by our prayer to the God of life. And I might add scripture reading too, but prayer in particular. And it's true. Our mealtime prayers 
can easily become habit, and we can fall into routine, use the same words every time, and our hearts are often not in it. But we need to keep working at it that our prayers are carried by heartfelt thankfulness toward the God of life, the God who has redeemed our lives in Jesus Christ. And that's why we need to keep opening God's word at mealtimes and to discipline ourselves to take the time to listen quietly to what God tells us in his word. That's how the spirit works true thankfulness in our hearts every time again to listening to the gospel of Christ. And that will bring us to thankful prayer too, not only for the food at the table, but also for his spiritual blessings. And that might even bring to singing songs of Thankfulness at tables sometimes. Do we do that ever? Sing psalms at table. You see, brothers and sisters, boys and girls, this is how the New Testament people of the Lord who believe in life can distinguish themselves at their mealtimes from those who do not believe and who remain in death. We show that not by what we eat today, but in how we go about eating, by lifting our hearts to God at every meal, expressing gratitude to him who in Christ has delivered us from death and corruption and promised us life, abundant life, everlasting life in his Son.